0: I just want to give you a little warning here, we're going to be talking about some rather mature subject matters related to today's culture, so if your kids normally are not in kids' church or in the 5th and 6th grade classes, this might be a good Sunday for them to do that, okay? And the rest of you, if you want to find your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4, pick it up in verse 2. Now, I hope this never happens to you, but uh, several years ago, my grandfather passed away, uh, went up to Montana, took part in the funeral, then made my way back to Spokane, Washington, where my folks live, and I was trying to catch a very early morning flight out. I was probably up about like 4.30, trying to get from Spokane to Seattle and then back to Texas. And I, my mother picked this up from her mother, but when I'm trying to leave, I'd already bring back a lot of stuff. My suitcase was already packed out. I already felt like it was over 50 pounds. And my mom starts giving me food, and, and it's oftentimes wrapped in tinfoil. Do you know what I'm talking about? Your mom does the same thing? Okay, good. And so, and like, she's giving me some different things, like, you know, she's like, okay, I'm not sure if I'm willing to make this. And then she says, she hands me this block, and it's wrapped in tinfoil. And I said, what's that? She goes, this is your favorite cheese. It's the Tillamook cheese. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I, I got to have that. So I shoved it in my suitcase. Well, sure enough, when I get to uh, the uh, counter, uh, we've got a little drama going on, because I'm over 50 pounds, and... I'm a tightwad, and I'm not going to pay the extra fee to put it in there. So I'm pulling stuff out, load everything in my garment bag, and I have my little carry-on. And uh, when I get to uh, the security, that's when things get really interesting. Okay, so somehow I got selected to be the guy that, you know, does the whole wand thing. You know, they're, like, scanning me. And they take a special interest in my bag, and they're going through it. Several of them have gathered around it. And one of them turns around, and he's holding the block of cheese wrapped in tinfoil, and he goes, what is this? And I'm like, well, it's the cheese that my mother just gave me, and I'm mean, like, it just sounded bad even when I was there, and oh. And they're taking this, like, little cloth, and they're putting it back and forth, and they're looking at this, and I'm like, it, it's really, it's a it's a block of cheese. Eventually, they had assessed that I was not a huge threat to society, and I got to bring my block of cheese and all my other stuff, tinfoil-wrapped items, with me on the plane and made it back. But I, I appreciate that our security folks take their jobs seriously. I mean, we've got serious terrorist threats, and I'm very thankful for those guys and gals that are doing their job because we don't want our lives disrupted, and we don't want people being killed, and, and I appreciate the hard, diligent work that they have to do. But it's really interesting. We take our homeland security very seriously, but I don't know if we take our home security all that seriously. In fact... Probably be safe to say that we are experiencing a home invasion unlike we've ever seen before. There are cultural terrorists under the guise of entertainment and potentially even education that are unwittingly destroying sensibilities, personal values, and the innocence of our children. And they are robbing our children of their youth and their futures, and we welcome them in. We've got technology that is a huge blessing. But it can be a significant curse. And there's a lot of our aspects of our culture that we can celebrate. We really can. There's a lot of good things about our culture. But there are some things that you and I need to be aware of because things are changing very quickly. Mass media and technology are literally exploding. Popular entertainment is seeking to push the envelope as far as it can go. There seems to be no bounds for which it won't try. Christian orthodoxy is questioned on every single front. Uh, We are witnessing a major cultural transformation that is taking place in our country. There is a widespread lack of faith, there is an increase in moral relativism, and there is a rejection of absolute truth. And Christians need to ask, how in the world am I supposed to live in this culture? Especially if I'm in a family or if I'm leading a family. So what do you do? Well, let me give you some of the responses that are out there. Some folks just prefer not to think seriously about the issues. Just kind of like, I'm going to put my head in the sand, and I really don't want to know what's out there. Yeah, I'm sure it's bad, but don't tell me about it, because I don't really want to think about it. And if that is your approach to what is taking place in our culture, you're going to be sucked into that vortex, and it will take you down. And the cultural values will either become yours, or they're going to directly influence your family in some very negative ways. And there's plenty of good moms and dads that have just kind of given up the struggle at this point. They're just like, okay, you know, everybody else seems to be doing it, seems to be fine. Somehow it'll all work out in the end, and the kids will turn out all right, and they just kind of go with it. Another approach is that they think, others think that they can absolutely evade the culture, okay? This is the idea that we are going to completely remove ourselves from culture altogether, but that is an impossibility. I mean, you have to buy food, Close. Culture may, is made up of institutions, laws, customs, news, the dialogue that is taking place within society, and you can't escape it. It is a constant part of our lives. And then there are still others that just embrace culture without any regard whatsoever. There's no reservations, okay? But you need to know that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you truly know Him and you're following Him, you can't embrace culture in its full, because some of the teachings and the principles and values of the culture are in direct confrontation with what Jesus teaches. For instance, the whole idea that we are what we consume and possess, or that we, we, we simply can't accept that, or that the culture wants us to accept this idea of the, of the denial of human dignity that underlies the cultural's acceptance of destruction of human life, whether that be in the womb or in a laboratory. As Christians, we simply can't go along with that. We cannot buy into the cherished myth of the autonomous individualism. We cannot compromise with a worldview that is based on the assumption that truth is relative or that it is socially constructed, because we actually believe that God has revealed truth in his Son and in his scriptures. And to make matters more complicated, not only as followers of Jesus— we we find ourselves enmeshed in this culture, but Jesus has called us to be salt and light. That we are to live out this relationship with Christ in such a way that we actually are telling people the gospel about not only their need for Christ, but the wonders of who Christ is and how He's the one Redeemer from sin and the one who truly can give life, that we are actually designed for Him. And we're meant to be salt and light in this culture, in many respects, that's going in a completely different direction. So what do you do? How do you stand up? How do you guide your family? Well, I don't think it is by isolation and completely removing them. I think what we need to do is we need to develop the convictions and the beliefs of the parents and of the students and their kids. We need to develop them from the inside out. We need to make them strong and help them understand what it means to really abide in Christ. Now, if you're going to be on a road trip, and that's what we've been doing, as we've been kind of making our way through Colossians 3 and 4. We've been looking at the family specifically and what God has called the roles of husbands and wives and kids and parents, what does it look like in work. And we're making our way through this, this these passages. We are coming to a place now where you need to understand that, you, just like a driver needs to understand the lay of the land, what, what's on the road, and be a defensive driver You and I, we need to be aware of what is out there, the major potholes where the bridges are blown away, where there's somebody's truck just dumped a bunch of stuff that if you run into it at 60 miles an hour, it's going to cause a lot of havoc to your life and to your family. And so how do you navigate the challenges that we face? Well, if you've got your Bibles open to Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2 through 6, you're going to find a very simple but a very profound way of how do we navigate the challenges that we face. The first thing we need to do is we need to navigate these challenges with prayer. Look what he says, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Literally, we're to give ourselves to communing and talking with God. That doesn't mean that you're on your knees all the time, but that you're developing patterns in which you're talking with God and experiencing this intimate fellowship that we have with Him. Now, when it says keeping alert in it, that means that you're awake, you are seeing what's out there, and you're responding by actually talking to God with it about what you're seeing. Now, prayer is always intensified by need. Don't you find that in your life? If all of a sudden you've got a health issue or something bad's about to happen or you're, you're scared, you have a tendency to pray more because you see the need. Don't see the need, don't pray as much. I kind of think the reason that we don't pray very often is because we don't see the need to pray. So consider this: consider two military sentries. One of them is stateside, and he's guarding a particular facility, and his you know the biggest thing that he has to watch out for is like you know maybe an occasional tourist. The other is a sentry who's guarding a platoon that is on the front lines of a battle. Which sentry? is going to be paying the most attention to about everything that's going on. Hopefully, you'd like to think it'd be equal, but you know that the guy that's on the front lines is going to be paying extremely close attention. Well, friends, you and I, we need to pray like that. You need to actually understand what is going on in our culture. When you see the moral decay of society and the need for our families for protection and shelter from worldly influences and how often the old self just kind of sneaks up there, when you start seeing these things, it makes you alert to the need to pray. And if you want to cultivate a deeper prayer life, always obey the impulse to pray. When God prompts you, he brings a situation, a person to mind, that is an indication that you should be praying about these things. And so you do so. And notice what else he says. You want to do it with an attitude of thanksgiving, because you pray and you are thankful, that will keep you from becoming a bitter person. It'll actually add fervor to your prayer life. And notice what else he says, verse three. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I also have been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. When he talks about the mystery of Christ, it's actually not a mystery to us because in Colossians 1, 27, he actually highlighted what is this mystery of Christ? That it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, the beauty of Christianity is that when we place our trust and faith in Christ, we literally are made a new creature because we are united with Christ, and Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. We are literally new. We now live life for the glory of God because we are actually indwelt with the presence of God. And Paul says, I want you to pray that I can make this clear to the people that I'm speaking with. And so if you're going to go through today's culture, you need to do so with prayer. Not just occasionally. Let me tell you, this has got to be an ongoing pattern. Let me also tell you that if you're going to navigate today's culture, you not only need to do it with prayer, but you need to do it with wisdom. Look at verse 5. Conduct yourselves... With wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Wisdom, Greek word is sophia, this is not man's wisdom, but it is God's. It is the ability to discern right choices with the mental process of weighing uh, and judging alternatives. You are applying God's truth to your life. That's what wisdom is. It is literally skill for living, and you want to do so so that you can make the most of the opportunity. Now, wisdom is needed because of the cultural challenges that we face. Now, what I'm about to tell you is not exhaustive, nor am I giving this to you for like shock value, but like someone told me after the end of first service, you need to tell us to put our seat belts on because you need to understand what actually is taking place in our culture so that you're going to be able to navigate through this. Now, this is not meant to be exhaustive, but I want to run through some things. You need to understand that our media is rampant with sex, violence, vulgarity, and an anti-authoritarian sentiment. When you look at, like, movies and television, what's taking place today, things that you would never allow in your house with, like, live human beings, you're like, no way, that'll never happen. They happen on a daily basis hourly occurrence, and they come through something what we call the TV or the computer or your phone. And there's a lot of well-meaning, good-intentioned mom and dads that are making dinner, and at the exact same time, there is a huge cultural invasion that is taking place of things that are graphic, violent, uh, nudity, and the foulest of language, and they're making their ways in our homes, and it happens on a routine basis. Uh, Ted, Ted Bear, the, who publishes the movie guide, he says this, quote, The increasing portrayals of sex in movies and television programs programs have had a tremendous negative effect on our children. Some media pundits and politicians think that such programming is inconsequential and has nothing to do with our children's future. That response is ignorant and wrong-headed. And not only is it in movie and TVs, but it's also in music. There are, obviously, there's plenty of good music, and there's some, you know, like, okay music, Right? But there's a lot of music that is out there that is explicitly vulgar, violent, Uh, it's profane, it speaks of promiscuity, it's X-rated, it is sex-saturated, and it sells millions and millions of dollars. Now, how in the world are you even supposed to know what's inside that CD or on that song or in that movie or on that television show? Let me give you a couple of sites that you can go to, pluggedin.com. Ought to be a place that you check out before you watch a movie. In fact, even yesterday, I just kind of looked it over. Because it will tell you everything you need to know about uh, positives, negatives, spiritual content, uh, whether it's drugs, drinking, all the stuff that you need to know, profanity. It's got it, and it actually gives you a summary. And it'll help you make good, wise decisions. If you need another one, there is ChristianAnswers.net. But what you want to do is develop patterns where you're exercising discernment and you train your children to do the same. You know, like, just because everybody's going to see that show doesn't mean that you don't check it out first. Because you're going to pay some pretty high tuition when you go to a show and they are like, whoa, and you're sitting there with your kids like, kids, we have got to go. That's because you didn't actually look it up and you have the opportunity to do so. But then not only is it movies and television, but even in advertising, I mean, how many of you have been, you've watched a. you know, maybe you're just trying to watch a ball game, or you're watching a show, and it's an appropriate show, and next thing you know, there is an ad for a PG-13, or an R-rated movie, or some sort of uh, sexual enhancement product, and you're like, diving to find the remote control, right? And you're like, oh, flipping the channel, oh man. And some of this stuff is highly graphic. It's planting seeds. But it's not only just advertising for the latest fad or the latest movie. But like a company Abercrombie and Fitch, they're infamous for their clothing catalogs that feature everything from 120 pages of nudity of boys and girls to uh, making this statement in their Christian uh, excuse me their Christmas field guide that said this quote: "There is no sexual boundaries and no consequences to any sexual behavior, and you will find them in our malls." And they are pushing clothes for kids starting at age seven. You look at many ads that are for alcohol, and they're all infused with this kind of party mentality atmosphere. Even Sunday Night Football is promoted by a gal who's scantily clad, and she's singing the little theme song for Sunday Night Football. You can't even drive down a highway without hitting these colossal-sized billboards that just speak of raunchy sexual behavior, places that you can go, things that you need to see. It's meant to allure your attention. And we are just getting bombarded by this in our culture to the place where we're actually kind of desensitized by it. You walk into a gas station, and like you see all these magazines, and they're, pretty, they're hitting you right at eye level, and they're right there for your kids to see. It's, it's right there, and the reason it is is because sex and violence sells. And it's just always right out there in front of you. It is a part of our culture... Now there's even marketing that is now being made to preteens, and they realize that preteens are not only influencers of consumer decisions, whether they're having their mom and dads buy them, but they themselves now are it, spending millions of dollars. And what they're giving these preteens now are graphic sexual images, and it's used, psychologists call it this latency period, where they're actually planting the seeds in the young minds that will later come to fruition. Well, if you think you can avoid this by just maybe, I'm just going to watch the news, look at the news. It doesn't matter what day, but look at how many sordid details, either with something sexual that's going on or violence that is being presented out there. The news is always the same. The only thing that changes are the names. And then you think like, okay, well, we've got some good role models. And we do have some really good role models out there in society and in our community. But there's some pretty disturbing role models, whether these celebrities be from music, movie, or the athletic world, and they garner a ton of attention. And it's far different than it was even just a few years ago because now with social media... People literally can follow trends and, and they, these people do something crazy or insane and all of a sudden everybody knows about it and they're talking about it and they're pe- sending texts back and forth with it. They're sharing this news and these people, they do crazy stuff and they garner so much attention and that does equate to dollars because people are always looking to capitalize on their behavior. And what happens with these role models, according to psychologist Albert Bandura in his social learning theory, he says this, we learn behavior from the environment around us through the process of observational learning. Children pay attention to someone, typically a person they can identify with, or who has a quality they would like to possess. Then a child begins to imitate the observed behaviors, values, and attitudes of that person, regardless whether they mesh with what the child has been taught in the home or at church. They just lock on, and they start imitating You might be shocked at what takes place in public sex education. Different schools around America, what is being taught in health classes under sex education, you would find absolutely appalling. And even in our own community, we have Planned Parenthood's Nobody's Fool, and it's a big deal, and it's every year. And uh, do you know what actually takes place at Nobody's Fool? Have you actually looked at their material? I have. It's graphic, and the other thing that it's a major proponent of is it is trying to normalize homosexual behavior, homosexual behavior among kids. And it's, it creates all sorts of havoc and confusion, and it especially gets bad when you've got individuals, prominent individuals, companies, and even some pastors that are endorsing this. Then you've got this whole sexualization of young girls. In February 2007, the American Psychological Association writes this, Sexualization occurs when a person's value comes only from his or her sexual appeal. When a person is sexually objectified, meaning that she is viewed as a thing for sexual use. This is happening at an earlier and earlier age. Dr. Brenda Hunter and Kristen Blair, they wrote this book called From Santa to Sexting. Uh, That was a pretty crazy title, but as I was researching and working on preparing for this message, I bought that among a lot of other books as I was researching this. And it was really interesting. These women have done a ton of research. And I want you to listen to what they have to say. Quote, all these media portrayals um, have a way of turning boys and men into voyeurs. And for young girls, it robs them of her innocence, violates her mind and her body image, and puts her on a treadmill of boy-pleasing early in life when she cannot possibly know who she is. The sexualization of girls robs them of childhood and takes them away from skill development, academic pursuits, and athletic accomplishments, and sets them up for big-time problems later on, like eating disorders, to capture the impossibly thin body, low self-esteem, and debilitating depression. In some, the sexualization of our girls affects their cognitive development and emotional health as well as their attitudes and beliefs about themselves, boys, and sex. And they go on to contend that it sets them up for earlier sexual, sexual involvement and all the baggage that comes with that. And they also write that parents contribute to this when they do that. Just anything goes with the clothes. And they just they pay for it, but they've got their young girls dressing rather sexually provocatively, and they don't actually say, no, we're not going to do that, that's not acceptable. They don't actually work with their girls that are trained them. And probably the uh, most extreme on this spectrum is this uh, show, Toddlers and Tiaras, okay? And this, in this particular, one particular uh, episode of this, they had a three-year-old girl that this mother dressed up her daughter as Julia Roberts in her uh, prostitute role in the movie Pretty Woman. And this flies in today's culture shouldn't surprise us that another major challenge out there for parents and families is early sexual involvement without knowing the consequences. I mean, anything from early teen to preteen involvement is now taking place, and that goes all the way up to this whole living together culture, which is becoming more and more the norm in our society. By the way, that whole living together culture, that threatens marital success, and that can be documented. But the whole excuse is that everybody is doing it, And so, it's it's prevalent. I mean, this is huge in our culture. Now, surveys are finding in this last 10 years that not everybody's just engaging in sexual intercourse, but they're involved in all sorts of sexual activity, and it is dangerous, and it is desensitizing them. Now, if you're going to live wisely, and that's what the Scripture says, you need to conduct yourself with wisdom, parents, you need to be in the game. You need to involve yourself. You need to enter into these conversations with your kids. Now, there's a, some material called like, uh, Family Life's Passport to Purity. That is excellent. We've uh, done it with three of our four kids, and it's got all set up for a weekend. It's got CDs where you can actually go through and have some really good discussions because you need to be a voice in this discussion. Your kids are getting sex ed. They're getting it on the internet. They're getting it from their peers. Perhaps they're getting it in their schools. You need to tell them and show them what healthy sexuality is, how God created it, and what he intends by it. And so you want to be involved. Now, there's there's family life, but there's also focus on the family. There's other means of doing this, but you want to be involved in that. And if that makes you like, man, that's nervous, it's hard, that's going to be difficult, yeah. But these are your kids. You've got to reject passivity and accept responsibility. Um, Magazines. Most magazines focused on teens and preteens have a sexual agenda for them. Now, for boys, they read magazines because they want to know about gaming and sports. For girls, for girls, they find fashion and beauty information in these magazines. So what exactly are they learning? Well, according to researchers uh, in a study called The Impact of the Media on Adolescent Sexual Attitudes and Behaviors produced by the Medical Institute in Austin, Texas, they write this, quote, Teen girl magazines include an average of one to six articles per issue on sexual topics. Content analysis indicates that magazines aimed at teen girls, including young teens, provide messages that girls should be beautiful and plan their lives to attract a man, depict girls as sexual objects, and display nudity in fashions and sexual explicitness through exposure. And these are the pressures that are being put on our daughters. And then, of course, it just continues. I mean, right after, right after you move out of the teenage stage, there's all sorts of women magazines that are promoting the exact same thing. And then if that's not enough for you, then you got all those romance novels to put on top of that. Now, there's some counters to that, like Focus on the Family has a Brio magazine that is trying to give young gals a healthy understanding of life and fashion. And there's some halfway decent magazines out there. But you need to understand that we are navigating through a culture that is obsessed with sex. And it's not just heterosexual. Now the big push is even homosexual. And you're told that you just need to sit back and tolerate it. Let me tell you something else that's going on. Our homes are being invaded. They're being degraded. And we're being debased. And one of the major ways this is happening is because we have some amazing technology that is available to us. Now, technology can be tremendous. I mean, it is going to be used for so much good, so much learning, can be entertaining. Technology can be great, but technology can also be treacherous. Do you know, on average, how much time a teenager spends with some sort of media, electronic media? It is seven and a half hours a day. They spend either with an iPhone, iPad, computer. Um, Vicky Rideout, uh, the vice president of the Kaiser Foundation that tracks media use with kids, says this, quote, there is nothing that occupies more of young people's time than media, not school, not church, not family. Now, a lot of kids are kind of chatting online, and they're sending Instagrams, pictures, or they're playing games. But some of this stuff can be downright devastating. And like, for instance, There is something called sexting, where you take inappropriate pictures. They've got kids age 10 and up that are starting to do this. And what happens is they send these pictures, nudity or partial nudity, out there. Then that gets passed around. That kid then becomes devastated. And there's multiple suicides that have been attributed to just that for the humiliation that takes place once they start involving themselves with this. In the Internet, do you know that in America, three out of five searches are for pornography. Now, while technology can be educational and can be entertaining, it can be devastating. And it is now estimated that by the time a kid reaches age 18, they've witnessed 200,000 acts of violence and more than 2,000 hours of pornographic images, okay? And if they view this, they're much more likely to engage in this kind of risky behavior. The National Coalition Against Pornography says this, Those who engage in such material come to view sex solely as a vehicle for their own physical pleasure. They come to see it as an act without consequence with a person who doesn't matter, and they can eventually view marriage and sound relationships as barriers to happiness. And that is exactly what we see. This leads to breakdowns in relationship and often divorce. Of course, then the American Academy of Pediatrics, not only do they recognize all the devastating effects that it has on a person's life emotionally and spiritually, they're saying, you know, the more media that a child consumes, the less sleep and healthy activity they have, and their school performance goes down. You know what? You've got to have wisdom you have to set the parameters. You've got to be engaged. You've got to know the password to your kid's phones. You have to check. You have to find out what they're doing. You set the standards and the parameters because you are the parent. But you just can't go with the flow, okay? And then Let me just tell you something else that's major, a major dominant cultural factor, and that is something called gaming. Do you know that 97% of teens, they play games. And there's a lot of adults that do. Now, some of these games are very entertaining. Uh, There's a wide range of them. A lot of adults play them. But some of these can be extremely devastating to kids. For instance, the Call of Duty franchise, this whole Modern Warfare, like they had Modern Warfare 2, Call of Duty, Black Ops, okay? This was released several years ago. It earned $650 million in its first five days when it was released. And by November 2010, it had over $1.5 in sales. These games are about as graphic as they can be. I mean, you got the blood, the gore, and all the sounds of suffering, and you got it in stereo. And you live it through. In fact, you actually are the one who's making all these assaults. Or another one that uh, you may not be familiar with, but is just extremely popular, is Grand Theft Auto V. It earned $800 million in its first 24 hours, and it's earned uh, 7.5 million copies of this have already been produced. Now, I read an article that was produced by a youth pastor and another guy. They got this this Grand Auto Theft 5 from a 12-year-old kid in their youth group whose grandmother sent it to him as a gift, and they previewed it to find out what was in it. They had a hard time actually even writing how graphic this is. I mean, we're talking, it, it is about as bad as you can imagine. I mean, you got a guy, he just he just shoots people at random. The vulgarity is complete. They have all sorts of, of video nudity in there. There's prostitution. I mean, you, you kill cops 30 or 40 within 70 minutes. It is just uh, about as gory and as vulgar and as crass as you can imagine it. This is what's on there. Everything everything from drugs to sex, it's on this game, and you play it. The Academy of Pediatrics takes a very hard line on media violence, noting that in this policy statement, quote, Research has associated exposure to media violence with a variety of physical and mental health problems for children and adolescents, including aggressive and violent behavior, bullying, desensitization, to violence, fear, and depression, and nightmares and sleep disturbances. Dr. David Walsh, in his book, Why Do They Act That Way, writes, Scientifically speaking, the notion that media violence harms kids is an open and shut case. Reachers has found that violent video games increase levels of aggression hormones in teen players. While their on-screen personas kicked, punched, cut, and shot their way through their enemies, testosterone and adrenaline levels rose significantly in the bodies of the players behind the controls. The strength of the evidence linking media violence to youth aggression is stronger than the evidence linking lead poisoning with mental retardation, and more definitive than the case linking secondhand smoke with cancer. And Dr. Michael Rich, who uh, he's the professor of pediatrics at Harvard Medical School, he he states this in his blog: interactive electronic media that immerse participants in a virtual reality are among the most effective teaching technologies we have. What children do, they will learn. Content matters. Therefore, as a pediatrician, I would steer parents and kids toward video games that are sports, logic, or strategy-based instead of those that center on violence. And if you want to know what's on these games, parents, grandparents, before you buy them, You go to pluggedin.com, and then you want to make sure that you actually preview this because they've got what you need. They will tell you everything about these games. And if you're a grandparent, you want to take a look at what these things are before you make that purchase. Let me give you some other thing, kind of changing some gear here for you. Well, There's another challenge that families are facing, and that is the kid-centered family. And this is where everything revolves around the kid. The kid actually dictates what's taking place in the family, not the parents. So you see this, like, youth athletics is now in our culture being kicked up to a completely higher level. I mean, so much so that just the travel alone to athletic events from state to state with some of these teams or cheer competitions has led to a $7 billion industry. And what's happening is families are being completely monopolized and the kids are like, well, I think I want to do this. And it almost eliminates anything else that they'd ever want to try. Uh, not only do you have it with that, but that puts a lot of pressure on those kids because if mom and dad have flown to Florida or they've flown the family there and they strike out or they can't play very well, or they don't do very well, there's a ton of pressure on them. It's creating a lot of pressure on families. You also have this kid-centered family show up like with a whole idea of how you select a church. Now, parents are just saying, kids, where do you have the most fun? And that's where they're going to go. Instead of parents evaluating where my kids are going to grow spiritually, where can we worship God, where can we serve, it's about the kids, their orientation, and how much fun they can have. You even have kids pushing to go to particular schools. And so let me tell you another challenge that we have. We're leaving it to schools and others in the community to raise kids. And there's something else that's taking a major push in our culture, And that is the aggressive homosexual agenda. The whole redefining marriage and normalizing this is an acceptable practice. It's in our courts, it's in our papers, and it's in our news. Just several weeks ago, there was a football player for the University of Missouri. His name is Michael Sam. He comes out and says, I'm a homosexual. And when he does that, he gets 134 million hits on this sort of news. Now, it, it, let me just tell you how far this goes. If you're, if you're unfamiliar with what's going on in the social conversation on this issue, let me tell you someone who weighs in on this. The First Lady of the United States made it a point to the day after to send out this tweet saying, quote, you're an inspiration to all of us, to Michael Sam, We couldn't be prouder of your courage both on and off the field. So all you have to do is say that you're a guy attracted to other men, and you got the first lady of the United States, Michelle Obama, who's going to send you a message. Well, that is a big part of today's conversation. Let me give you another challenge that's out there. Materialism, where it's all about what you can own and what you can possess. And we got families that are spending money they don't have just to have stuff and experiences. You also have a missing father syndrome, where did you know that today one-third of the families... They have no father present. That's not to mention how many fathers are there but not present. And then, of course, you have peer pressure. Peer pressure has always been huge. You and I faced it when we were kids. Our kids face it. There is a huge pressure to conform to the attitude and atmosphere of this world. But there's pressure to try drugs. There's pressure to drink alcohol and to fit into a norm that society is saying, this is how you live. And our kids face this pressure all the time. Not only are they measuring themselves up to movie stars and, and athletes that they see all the time, but even with the Instagramming, they're always measuring themselves up to each other. It's safe to say that media has become the other parent. It has that much influence on the lives of kids. So what do you need? You need wisdom. And where are you going to get wisdom? We need wisdom to lead our families as we walk with Christ. Let me tell you where you find wisdom. You find wisdom by fearing the Lord, Proverbs nine ten. We have a true reverence for Him. You find it by studying the Scriptures. God's Word will guide your life. You find it through prayer. James says in James 1, 5, that if you lack of wisdom... You ask of God and He will give it to you. Do you want it? Well, you should be praying for it because God will give it to you. Let me tell you where else you can find wisdom wise counselors. There's there great benefit of having wise guidance. What we need are people to be asking wise people good questions. And let me give you another, and that is training in real life. You generally get wiser as you get older. But parents, families, you need to set the convictions by which your family is going to live. You need to set the parameters. You need to decide how we're going to go through life. You're going to decide what is and what is not acceptable. It's really interesting to watch parents. Man, you get a little cut, a little bruise. We're going to the doctor. We're going to clean that thing out. We got the Band-Aids out. We're going to You got your little immune system. We're going to make sure you got the shots. But what about the stuff that's going into their hearts and in their heads? Are you concerned? Well, I'm concerned about the physical stuff. Are you concerned about what's going on here with your kids? You ought to be because that's probably even more devastating than some of the physical stuff. We've got to reject passivity. We have to accept responsibility. You parents, you set the direction in your home. And that means that you have to set the tone in your home. You've got to find a time to replenish your soul. You have to set the tenor, which means at times you're going to have to say no to some really good things in order to say yes to the great things, but please do not give culture so much sway in your life. Now, I'm not asking you to adopt my patterns or or how how we've structured it in our family. What I am asking you to do is for you to seriously evaluate your approach to how you're going to go through today's culture. Where are you going to draw the line? Where are you going to say yes and no? What are going to be your standards? What are going to be your practices in your home? You've got to decide, and to choose to not decide is to decide that we're going to go with the culture. And it's a daily battle, and it requires daily decisions. And then just finally, if you're going to navigate today's culture, you've got to do it with prayer, you've got to do it with wisdom, but notice what he says in verse 6. You have to do it with grace. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each Person. You want your words and your attitudes to reflect the graciousness of Christ. To those who do not know Jesus, okay, they don't have Him as their compass and they are not following His Word as their guide. You want to be gracious with them. In fact, you want to be gracious with other Christians. Some who are just starting to walk in the faith, some who are trying to figure it out. Not everybody's at the same place of maturity they're going to, some, in some cases, come to some different conclusions or some different practices. Be gracious. Now, I, I think that we have as families, if we will actually put these principles in place, I think we have the very best opportunity of sharing the gospel, and we will do so through living out the gospel in our families. And I, I say that because when you look at church history, Historians, as they study church history, when they look at how it spread through the Roman Empire, it wasn't so much that they had the, the Christians had the best arguments in theology, it's because they had families that demonstrated a fervent love for one another. And we live in such a time like this that people need to see the reality of Jesus, that he transforms lives, hearts, homes, and cultures, and he does so one person at a time. So friends, I I leave you with the challenge. You want to go through this world with the wisdom and the strength of God. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the reality that you are the one who has promised to shepherd and lead us. And we desperately seek your wisdom. We want to walk in your ways. I pray for our parents, single parents, those who are trying to hold their families together those that are thriving, God, give us grace and wisdom. I pray for all the many dear children that are part of this church. God, we pray that you'd capture their hearts from a very early age and they'd walk with you, that you'd keep them from the evil one and they'd know the goodness of Jesus all their days. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.